What's up, everyone? Welcome to my corner of the internet. I'm your host, Ryan Kramer, and this is Crossover Commerce, presented by Ping Pong Payments, the leading global payments provider helping sellers keep more of their hard-earned money. What's up, everyone? I'm your host, Ryan Kramer, and welcome to episode 112 of Crossover Commerce. This is my corner of the internet where I bring you the best experts in the Amazon and e-commerce industry. No matter where in the world they might be living, I'm going to bring you the best and the brightest. Uh, we're going to share your their insights and the most important aspects of selling online here on this show. Uh, definitely, uh, toilet seat thinking is the topic today. We're going to be talking about why you should see things from a customer's point of view. It's definitely catches your attention when you see toilet seat thinking. I, at first, when I was approached about this topic, didn't didn't know what I was going to be getting into. I thought, you know, uh, about about different things that are could be dirty or if I was just thinking while using the toilet, I'm not really sure. So, but it does catch your attention. So we're going to really dive into that today. And uh, with our guest that is all the way on uh, the other side of the, I say the pond, but all the way in uh, the UK. But before we dive into crossover commerce is always presented by Ping Pong Payments. Ping Pong transfers more than $150 million a day for e-commerce sellers just like you, helping 1 million customers worldwide now. They've processed over $90 billion. I say they, we have processed over $90 billion in cross-border payments to help e-commerce sellers save time and money. Why not sign up today? Go ahead and check out that link below in the show notes or in that comment section. If you're watching us live, again, you're watching us live Welcome on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, wherever you might be watching us, or if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Google, uh, Spotify, wherever you consume your podcast, that's where we're going to be. Really excited too to be bringing on a new partner on our podcast. Just got announced here um, in June, uh, casted here in Indianapolis. We're going to be utilizing them to really amplify and really amp up our podcasting game. So really excited to kind of give them a quick shout out as well. So stay tuned for more information on that. But everyone who's listening today, if you have questions, this is interactive, go ahead and submit your questions. Or if you want to go ahead and write into the show, go ahead and do that. So via uh, the email and that's ryan at crossovercommerce.com or ryan at ping pong, uh, ping pong x.us. That would be the easiest way as well. But about our guest today, it's not just about me. If it were just about me, that wouldn't be one boring show. We wouldn't last past season one, uh, is the joke I like to make. But about our guest today, who's kind enough to join us, he uh, his name is Matt Edmondson, and he's the real world e commerce entrepreneur, coach, and creator. His goal is to show aspiring entrepreneurs uh, sure and simple steps to get a digital business off the ground and seasoned entrepreneurs on how to take their business to the next level. Matt is the CEO of The Jersey Company, a group of health, wellness, and beauty companies that deliver products and services over to 120,000 loyal customers from the UK warehouse. And the group includes the e-commerce business, The Jersey Beauty Company, which went online in 2006. And since then has achieved global sales of $75 million. And that's over 7 million products shipped. Over the years, Matt has built up a team as strong as 50 people. He's also a host of the e-commerce podcast. Go ahead and check that out on Apple podcast. Fantastic stuff that he's pumping out once an episode, once a week. Um, and he chats with the experts in the field, just like myself in the e-commerce space on how to grow and develop online businesses. So one from one podcaster to another, please welcome Matt Emmonson of Arian Digital, 
and the Jersey Company. Matt, welcome to Crossover Commerce. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks, Ryan. Really good. Thanks for that. Love the intro. Thank you. I appreciate that. It, like as you can probably attest, uh, podcasting you have to stand out from the crowd somehow. And uh, I, I like to thank my team. It's not just me. If it were me, then we <laughs> the show would not get past season one for sure. So it's always relying on. Yeah, a team, I like that. That made me smile. Know. That made me smile. <laughs> and the reason it made me smile was when you mentioned we do the e-commerce podcast, which we do. We did season when we did season one. It was literally me for the whole season. And at the end of that season, I'm like. I said to the team, even I'm getting bored of my own voice. Exactly. I was going to say, wouldn't it be nice to have like a co-host to like banter with or just talk with? Sometimes it's always nice, but if it was just me talking, I don't think I would get a single viewer, but that's just me. That's, that's me being <laughs> harsh on myself, but it is what it yeah. is. But hey, thank you for uh, joining us. You're where you are in London. I'm going to say, is that correct? Not uh, close, no, Liverpool. So Liverpool, uh, yes. about three hours north of London. Three hours north yeah. of there, yeah. Liverpool, fantastic area. Like I think we talked about this in my initial talk. So what's new in Liverpool? Uh, the country's pretty much opening back up fully. Is that correct? Yeah, well, slowly, yeah. I mean, the big slowly. debate is now whether we, uh, I think it's the end of June, is the next sort of big ro uh, milestone for the UK where the, the lockdown is concerned. But yeah, we've... We, we're slowly coming out of lockdown now. Uh, we can have people around our houses again, which is great. Um, the summer has just arrived, it seems. Uh, and so, yeah, everyone seems to be a bit more hopeful, I would say, in the UK at the moment. It, it does feel that way. I would say a lot of people feel like it's the end of a chapter, uh, beginning of a new one. And that's something about summertime when you can just emerge from your home after being cooped up for so long. You feel that way naturally in the uh, in the winter, I would think, but when you're locked down for as long as probably you guys have been more than we have, it just feels more like a refreshing new beginning. If, if that makes sense, I, I'm not yeah, sure if that feels similar over there, but, uh, but yeah, you, you have a lot going on because you've been selling online. You have the podcast, maybe take me through that personal journey. how do you get into e-commerce and digital marketing, getting mm -hmm. into a podcast? What, what's that journey been like for you? Oh, it's been fantastic. I mean, I, I, I've i loved every minute of it. I, my, I guess my career, is that the right phrase to start? Depends how far I go back, right? But um, <laughs> I, I wrote my first website in about 1998. Um, and I did that because a friend of mine uh, came to me and said, listen, Matt, um, my church wants a website. Who do I go to? And I'm like, well, I know these guys over here, but it's going to cost thousands because this is back when websites were crazy because you had to write code, right? I mean, there wasn't Wix and Squarespace and all that sort of stuff back then. And so I said to him, I said, listen, um, there's some software you can get. It's called, it was called uh, Dreamweaver, uh, if you remember right. Dreamweaver days. I do. And um, I said, if you buy Dreamweaver, then I'll figure out the software and I'll I'll create the website for you. And so that was that was literally how it started. A friend of mine just said, listen, we need one. Can you create one? Oh, and can you, do you know who can help me? And I said, sure, I'll do it. I'll figure it out. And um, <laughs> The greatest stories start that way. I promise. Yeah, 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 exactly. Just a small opportunity put in front of you and you kind of, you kind of go, well, no, okay, well, let's have a go and see what happens. Right. And um, so in 2002, so uh, three or four years after that, uh, we did, I did my first ever e-commerce website. Uh, and I just connected with a friend. I just said he was selling um, products at the, at the time via mail order. And I said, do you mind if I sell those online? I'll buy them from you at trade and then I'll sell them. Don't know how it's going to go. I have no idea, but I want to have a go and see if I can do these online sites. And he said, <laughs> sure. Uh, and so six months later, 
I sold that business back to him, uh, funnily enough. So we built it and then he bought it. Uh, it was doing really well. Um, and that's how my, that was 2002. And so that was how my journey started in e-commerce. Wow. And, and then obviously as, as time kind of develops, you get into new projects and whatnot. What was that, that moment when you found the Amazon opportunity and you're like, you know what? I think that this is something that with my experience, we can take it to a whole nother level. I, it's an interesting question, isn't it? Because I think my journey is much more, um, uh, much more sort of trial and error than that, if I'm honest with you. Um, back in 2006, a friend of mine from uh, Jersey, which uh, if you're familiar with the, the, the geography of the area, uh, Jersey is a small island off the north coast of France. Um, mm -hmm. And I like to describe it as sort of independently British Jersey. It's a beautiful <laughs> place. It's like 45 square miles. It's not a massive place. Um, and it's kind of English, but it's not. It's kind of independent. It's got its own parliament and all that sort of stuff. About 100,000 people live on Jersey. And um, a friend of mine on Jersey had a, had still has some health clubs over there. And he's like, I want to, I need to do something to create some income. And I was like, well, just start an e-commerce business. Um, sell stuff online. It seems to be the thing everyone's doing at the moment. And so we took some products that he was selling in his gym through his, he had a few beauty salons in his gym. And um, we said, well, let's just throw these online. And this is, I tell you, Ryan, this is how effective my research was at this point. We went away and did some research. And I was like, I think by the end of the year, we will sell about 10,000 pounds, which is what, about $15,000 worth of product. And we launched mm -hmm. the end of August. Okay, so August 2006, my aim by December 31st, 2006 was to have sold about 10 grand's worth of product. The reality of life was we didn't sell £10,000 worth of product. Jersey Beauty Company sold £400,000 worth of product in those first four months. And so it wasn't by my design. <laughs> it yeah, was, you, were, you were surprised shockingly. Yeah. By yeah, we were, we were all really pleasantly surprised. And I mean, don't get me wrong, we had to learn quick um, because, you know, I mean, they're good problems to have when you're that successful overnight. Um, but we had to scramble quick. We had to figure stuff out very, very quick. Um, but it certainly wasn't by our design where we went, you know what, we're going to totally dominate the world of beauty right now. Um, it just, <laughs> I wish I could sit here and say that's what it was. It was a moment of genius on my part. Uh, that would be an utter lie, though, uh, if I'm honest. So, um, so yeah, I'd say our journey is much more trial and error. Um, if that makes sense, we just kind of right. stumble, stumble across things because we, we do know things. We do understand things a lot better now. Um, but I, I can't underplay the effect of timing in our whole journey. Do you know what I mean? The right place, right time, right mm -hmm. opportunity. Well, there there is a article that came out with Marketplace Pulse. I'm not sure if you follow them, but they were talking about sellers who have been on and that there's still not any saturation in the Amazon marketplace. And they did, they had this data graph, if you will, of when new sellers entered the market and how much market share that they had. And it, around 2014, 15 is when this like new era of sellers began through party mm -hmm. sellers, FBA, uh, in FBA warehousing, becoming brands. That's when it really started to take over. And those were new sellers were around 60%. But even over time, it's really been evened out in terms of growth potential, both new sellers and seasoned sellers. So I think that's fascinating that there is all this space available when 
companies like the Jersey company can come in and say, listen, we're still going to assert dominance in our space, but other people can play nicely as well. And we're Mm -hmm. still going to grow. And I think that there's not a lot of places in business that I think that can happen Mm -hmm. apart from that right now. Would you, would you agree with that? Or do you have a different take on that? No, I'd say it's, I'd certainly say that's my experience, you know, that um, in the, in the in the, certainly in the beauty industry i mean it is hyper competitive um mm-hmm. it's one of the most next to fashion i think it's one of the most competitive industries online um i think the reality of it is uh if you're good competition helps you grow if that makes sense because it mm-hmm. increases the market increases the market awareness of products so as my competitors got bigger we got bigger um and in part that was down to my competitors sort of developing the market awareness of the products that we were selling. So, um, and vice versa, do you know what I mean? So I've never been afraid of competition. I've never, I've never been discouraged by competition, if that makes sense. I'm, I always, I, I welcome it. I think it's, you know, part of the free market economy. It's a good thing to have. Um, it keeps you on your toes. It keeps you sharpened. But I definitely, I definitely don't think that if you're in a space, you have to find a space where there's no competition. Do you know what I mean? The elixir right. of, of sort of, of of business. It's like I'm the only one operating and the only one that can sell this product. It's like, no, come on. Uh, it just doesn't happen. So you, it doesn't matter where you are or what platform you sell on, Amazon, your own website, Etsy, whatever it is, there are competitors. Um, and there are competitors way, way bigger than you. And so I often call, call myself a digital David based on the story of um, – you know, the story of David and Goliath. Malcolm Gladwell did a book called David and Goliath a few years ago. Brilliant book. And he talks about the advantages that David actually had over Goliath. And um, and I feel like in e-commerce, we often feel like these sort of digital Davids um, taking on the Goliaths, you know, the Amazons, the Walmarts, the Etsy, all these sort of big people. And we feel overwhelmed by it. But actually, we've got a lot of stuff in our arsenal that can really help us, do you know what I mean, overcome that and do really well for ourselves and not be afraid of that, but actually welcome it and go, no, 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 we can, we can do well here. Let's let's make sure we're, we're on board. Do you know what I mean? And, and uh, mm-hmm. I think that's 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 how I see it. Well, you made a good point too. how people see competition in any good course out there or any sort of person who's trying to help people sell online. You'll tell people look for competition, but where there's opportunity, uh, whether they're just not optimized or their product is maybe lacking a little bit, there is an opportunity to take over what is already there instead of starting from scratch and maybe developing something that's nothing uh, maybe currently out there. So that that's, that's a good point in that regards. Um, so maybe as you've developed over time, what are some of the things that you've learned about yourself as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, and then maybe some things you didn't like about what you had to learn uh, the hard, the hard way, if you, if you will, um, about that. That's a really, really good question. I think um, I, I, there's a number of lessons that I've learned along the way. Um, number one, everything changes, but everything stays the same. Um, so what I mean by that, if you look at digital marketing now um, and the knowledge and insights you have to have, well, they're very different to say 2006 or 2002. But the principles of marketing have stayed the same. So, whilst the the app, do you know what I mean? Digital marketing, everything's changed. The principles of it have still remained identical. Um, 
I'd say the other thing that I would say has been a big learning for me is actually uh, the, the more time I invest into my team, the better off I'm going to be. Uh, and it's the same with parenting. It's the same. It's the same with managing your team, right? The more time I invest in my kids, the easier parenting is going to become. The more time I invest in my team, the easier running the business is going to become. And um, and and that's been the lifelong learning here. I can't do it all. I am not God's gift to e-commerce. It's just it's just not true. Um, I am a human being who is fallible and. Therefore, having quality people around me and actually people who are better than me. Um, you know, I wrote my websites back in 1998. I don't do that anymore uh, because <laughs> that's changed many, since then. A lot has changed. But and, and people, are you know, we've got a couple of guys who code for us. Um, and, you know, the, the guys that do that way better people than I am at coding. And, and I can't I can't be insecure about that. I have to release them and empower them and and get them better and help them to be better and not be worried that I'm not as good as them at certain things. Do, do you know what I mean? And so um, the, the power of team, I think is crucial if you're going to build any long-term business. Absolutely. Surround yourself with smarter people in yourself to make you look better. That's mm-hmm. how I always see it as well. So kind of diving into our uh, topic of a discussion, if you will, if that's okay with you, I was, it was funny how I was, connected with you is you have a podcast agent, if you will. And I, I thought this is fascinating that when you're presented with topics, it's so much easier. I don't know about yourself, but when a podcaster is presented with topics, there's always going to be something that stands out. And as a yeah. host, I want to listen to something from a guest that I have not heard of, or I want to really dive into. And when yeah. I saw the title toilet seat thinking, I had such this curiosity about what does that mean? Is it, are you thinking long when you're using the toilet? Like, what is that? What, what could that potentially cover in that regards? So starting from the beginning, Matt, what, what do you mean by toilet seat thinking? Let, let's just, let's just get that's, that out of the way that, yeah, yeah, before, yeah. before anyone like turns off the, the dial, if you will, or <laughs> goes to in the next episode, we want to know what is toilet seat thinking mean to you? Yeah, toilet seat thinking uh, is based around a story that a friend of mine told me. And I, I wish I could say this was my story, but it isn't. I, I, <laughs> I've totally robbed it from a friend. I just want to be totally clear by that. Um, and he was he, he, a good friend of mine, a guy called Rich Rising. And Rich was um, he's actually from Dallas, Texas. He came over to the UK and he was speaking at a conference, which I put on over here. And he at the conference, marketing conference, he was telling this story about when he worked. I don't actually know if this is a genuine story, by the way. I just remember the story. Uh, He was telling the story about when he worked at a hotel. And at the hotel, he would consistently win the award for uh, the best cleaner, you know, like best cleaner of the week award or something like that. Sure. Um, And he was his job was cleaning toilets in hotels. and, And everybody was like, well, hang on a minute you know, how can you keep getting the award? And the other cleaners, the competition, uh, were a little bit envious by this. And um, so they tried harder to clean the toilets better. And they scrubbed and they scrubbed and they scrubbed. Didn't matter what they did. They never got as many positive comments on their toilets as Rich got on his. So he always won the award. Exasperated, uh, the cleaners went to Rich and said, what is the secret of your success. Why do you continually win this award? It doesn't matter what we do, you always seem to win the award. And he said to them, well, show me how you clean the toilet. 
Uh, and so they off they go to a toilet and they show him what they do and how they scrub and clean. And Rich just watches them and he, and he says, there's one big difference. And I'll tell you what it is. And they're like, what is that? He said, when you go in a toilet and clean it, you stand and you look at the toilet. He said, I sit down on the toilet seat and look at it from the point of view of the customer, the user, the person using it. And he said, I make sure everything is clean from that vantage point and everything looks clean and everything's in its right place. And he said, that's that's all I do. That's the only difference. He cleaned as hard. He just changed his perspective. And so toilet seat thinking, um, I've, it's always stuck with me. In fact, I have a I often use it as a prop, Ryan, uh, as you, you know, we have a toilet seat here um, that uh, that I often use when I'm I'm talking to clients about this, just to help them remember. In fact, I did a, a, a I did a conference with some clients the other day. I because we everything's digital now. I sent right. them all a toilet seat and said, right, you all have to now sit on the toilet seat while we are having a conference about this. There you go. Um, and toilet so toilet seat thinking is that it's just actually looking at life from the point of view of your customer. Um, and that's the biggest secret, I think, to e-commerce is just looking at the website, looking at your product, looking at your business, looking at what you do from the point of view of your customer rather than from your point of view. You're like the guy standing looking at the toilet the wrong way. So that's toilet seat thinking. Well, that's such a powerful message, but in a very consumable way. So so how are you actually applying that methodology to your own business? And then maybe where people just constantly are missing that point of view like well, let's start with your you your first Matt. how did that change your way of thinking one of the big ways it changes how you think is in the well i mean it changes everything but one of the big ways one of the i think is around the products that you sell okay so um i'll, I'll give you an example and uh, this is from jersey this is a sort of a jersey example there was um a time where we would just literally go to any beauty brand or any beauty brand that came to us and said listen can you sell our products online we were like sure and we would just throw them on the website didn't care about them it wasn't until i actually sat on the toilet seat and thought actually what's going on with the customer here and so i started to do research about the customers what is it they want what is it they're using and actually, Amazon is one of the best places to do that. And so I went on to Amazon, did an awful lot of research and found a product uh, that customers raved about on Amazon in their reviews, just reading through the reviews and some of the things that they were saying. We approached that company and said, can we sell your product on the website? They were a young, small company. They said, mm -hmm. sure, no one else has asked us. Why not go for it? We sold that product on the website. And um, in the first year, we sold 100 grand of it. Um, Holy just, cow, yeah. Yeah, just from, just from looking at the customer information, if that makes sense, or the customer reviews on Amazon of products. Um, what is it the customer wants? What do they need? What are they saying? Uh, how, can we, how can we help them? Uh, we set up a skincare brand um, doing exactly the same thing. We, you know, what does the customer want? So we were like, how do you market a skincare brand in the world's most competitive industry without spending, you know, a small fortune and having to mortgage your right kidney to do it? I, I was really curious. And so uh, we just went on to Twitter um, and uh, this was in 2013, 2014, somewhere around there. So it's different, slightly different now, but we just went on right. to Twitter. And, and as I am always amazed with social media, I'm always flabbergasted by what people actually are willing to write on social media about their personal <laughs> lives, right? I just add. It's very true. Yeah, yeah. And so um, we just went on to Twitter and we set an alert. So every time someone mentioned a, a problem like dry skin, oily skin, breakouts, acne, whatever it was, um, whatever the alerts were, it just came up on our 
on our system. Somebody has just typed this in on Twitter. So we were just like, awesome. Let's make, let's get in touch with them. Hey, sorry to hear you've got skin breakouts. Listen, I've got a great product I think will help you, but I can, uh, I don't want you to buy it. Let's sample it, see how you get on. And if it works, we'd love to help you. Um, and you can get free samples just by clicking here and giving me your information. I'll send them out for, you know, first class today sort of thing. And so that's what we did. And that's how we grew that brand. Again, just toilet seat thinking, what is it the customer wants and, and, um, and what is it they need? And so I would say the first, the, first, the first area that this has got to impact is in the area of product by far and your research about products and what you sell on your website. Absolutely. I, I use the same phrase, but I think like social listening in terms of going through and actually getting feedback from potential clients or even potential developing new product. You yeah. need to actually know your customers first, what, what they struggle with, is your product going to fix that? And then kind of move forward from there. So that's interesting. Does that seem, does that strategy, would that hold up, do you think now today more so than ever? Or is there a different approach that you would take even in that regards? Because you're reaching out to these people individually. Do you think mm -hmm. that there's still trust online for people to do that? Or do you think that there's people are in a world now of more mistrust or like, how did you know that I had skincare problems or anything like that? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I think I think the world is slightly more mistrusting. Um, and it, if I was starting a skincare brand today, it wouldn't be the only tactic that I would use. I'd just be, you know, be super clear about that. Um, but it would be one of them. Uh, I still feel there's power in going to people directly, one on one directly. Um, and that's not cold calling. That's not picking. I mean, that's, you know, nobody likes getting a cold call, do they? So uh, you don't sit by the phone going, please, double glazing salesman, you know, please call me so I can buy new windows or whatever it is. Uh, you just don't you don't do that. And so I think social media is fine if it's done gently and if it's done right. Um, and I think it is a good strategy still. I still think you can do that because it is free. It's just time consuming. You know, you're not paying and you're getting straight to the, the heart of the problem. So, um, yeah, I still think it would be good. I still think it would work. And you could reach out to people that way. So how are you and your team like now and nowadays, like you mentioned earlier in the in the show, there's so much development in tech, there's so much development in helping tools and maybe help your job a little bit easier. Is there something out there where there's a series of tools or people that help you develop your thought process a little bit more easier or find those resources a little bit easier, almost that customer segment? Is there something that you you've found along the way that's just making your job a little bit easier? I mean, there's a yes and no, right? So again, the, everything's changed, but nothing's changed is, is, is a common principle. So if you, if you take something like product research, you know, finding products um, like the, the serum that we started selling and made 100 grand out of, let's take something like that, for example, that's on Amazon. So I could just, I could just trawl Amazon. And if you know some basic hacks, like how to find the best sellers in a category, which is, let's just face it, it's not rocket Pretty science, easy. Exactly. If you can't do that, you probably shouldn't be in e-commerce. But, <laughs> but it's that kind of, you know, I, I can go and find those products and I can look down that list and go, would that work for us? Let's look at the reviews. What do customers say about this? Is this consistently in the bestseller list or is this just like a one-off flash in the pan thing? Um, and you can do that manually, but there are tools out there, um, you know, that you can use that would help you do that automatically you know tools like jungle scout and mm -hmm. um uh you know th there's 
um, oh, oh, what's his name? He was on this show, and it's just totally missed. I've just totally forgotten it. He was in season five. John Tilly was on the show. If you search, oh, uh, Zonguru. Zonguru, that's it. Uh, well done. And so you've got Zonguru as well, uh, which is a brilliant piece of software, and it it helps you figure out what's selling well and what's ranking well on Amazon automatically. So. Um, everything's changed, but nothing's changed. So the principle of just doing that research is still the same. But yes, there are tools that you could use now, um, like Zonguru, and you should definitely check it out that would help you do that, irrespective of whether you're selling on Amazon or not. Um, you know, I think personally, you should, every product you're selling on your website, you should be tracking on Amazon anyway. Um, Great. Tracking the sales of it, tracking, you know, the data of it, tracking the description, tracking the reviews, what images have come on, what changed, you know, where has it appeared in the ranking, tracking all that information. Uh, because it, Amazon is, you know, on one hand, it's a Goliath and it's a pain in the backside because you feel like it's taking half your customers. But on the other hand, it is a treasure trove of data and information which you would never otherwise find out. And so um, so I would be using tools like Zonguru to, to track products, yes. Well, shout out to John Tilly. He's been a friend of the show as well. So uh, we'll have to make sure that he, he knows we, uh, we spoke about him. But what about going back to more about the customer segment? What, what's your perception of a customer in 2021? Are they, have they become smarter or have customers just become, found different ways to either complain about products or just get smarter about how they consume products or is there a customer mentality that's changed over time since you've been selling online? Um, that's a great question. And again, I don't, I think technology has changed. So, you know, I can sit there in front of my TV and I can go, oh, I'm, I need to get dot, dot, dot. And within inside of 30 seconds, I could have ordered that, you know, either via Amazon or eBay or a website of my choice, right? I can just, there it is on my phone whilst I'm watching TV. And so I think convenience has become a major, major contributor now to the whole thing, right? Um, so how convenient is it to buy a product? But the reality of it is, right? And the, the, the truth here, Ryan, in, in my mind is, again, the principles have stayed exactly the same. 99% of e-commerce businesses fail, and they fail predominantly for one key reason. You, I mean, you could argue there's more, but let's start with the first one. And it's the first one that I always see whenever someone comes and says, why am I not doing any, you know, why am I not getting the sales that I need? Right. It's not, I don't start at the website. I don't start at the marketing. I start with the product. Fundamentally, do you have a product that people want to buy? Okay. So if you remember your economics lessons all the way back at school, right? For right. me, I, I did economics back in the 90s where I learned about the free market and supply and demand, the, 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 the rules have not changed. It's like, if you have a product that people want to buy, well done. If you have a product that people don't want to buy, I don't care how beautiful your website is. I don't care how you know slick your uh, pay-per-click campaign is. People just aren't going to buy it. It's just the way of the world. And so while some of these things have changed in, in some, in, in, you know, with consumers, the ability to buy quickly and easily and conveniently, fundamentally, consumers still have to want what it is you're selling. And they still have to understand why it's going to make sense for them to buy what you're selling. Um, and I think those principles have been timeless. Uh, so I don't, have this consumer got a bit more savvy? I, you could say yes, because they are 
you know and i know i mean you you know you sit there and i sit there and we can watch pricing and we can sh you know within three seconds you've got 20 websites selling the same product all giving you various different prices and and so on and so forth and so um so yeah i think i think other than the ability to do a lot of price comparison i don't know if it's changed that much to be fair no i, I would agree with you i think that there's so many more tools out there to, that give more insight into what the customers always thought of their behaviors, no matter what it's going to be, I think has been enhanced, believe it or not, by social media or tools yeah. uh, out there just because, you know, there, there's this wave of influencers, micro influencers, whatever you want to call them, that if you are a follower of theirs, there's just been this mentality of whatever they say or whatever I should do, almost I should opt into it. But you see that in different aspects of life as it has evolved over time. You've mm. seen that in billboards. You've seen that in celebrity endorsements. You've seen that in different kinds of advertising and digital campaigns that these people are promoting these products, whether it's athletes or whomever it is. There's always been an aspect of it. It's just made easier to get from point A to point C. And that that B component has just become a lot smarter, I think. Yeah. Um and helping people bridge that gap a lot uh, quicker. Um, maybe what what kind of characteristics at the end of the day for your digital business entity, if you've been approached and you're just like, I'm had enough, I want to exit Jersey company or whomever, uh, whatever company you want to exit eventually down the road, if you do, what characteristics do you want to be known for after it's all said and done and say, I did a good job. This is when people think about Matt Edmondson, they're going to say, this is what he's known for. What do you want that to be? Oh, wow. Um, that's a great question. I think, I think I want people to say, here was a guy who cared about his team um, and treated people right and well. Uh, I, it sounds a bit old fashioned, I suppose, but I'm very concerned about integrity. Um, things like that bother me. Uh, and so I don't, I don't need to be perfect. I don't need to be the smartest guy in the box. I don't need to have made the most money. I just need to have treated my team right um, and had integrity in, in that whole process. And I think if I, if I can do that, um, you know, here, 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 here is a man that sleeps soundly at night, um, you know, with no regrets. I think that's a, that's a, a beautiful place to be. And that's a, a fantastic proposition for me. Um, and so, yeah, I would say, I would say that's the characteristic, you know, uh, are we doing well team-wise? Are we doing well with our customers? Are we doing well, you know, from an integrity point of view? Um, do we feel like we can sleep well at night? It's, it's funny, Jen, who's one of the, the, the owners in Jersey, she's one of the business partners. Jenny, she's lovely, lovely lady. And she just says to me, at the end of the day, I just need to be able to sleep soundly. If I can do that, then life is good. And um, I, I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. Absolutely. Do you think there's anyone out there or you don't have to name us specifically? There's been a lot of people in this space that I think really actually hurt the industry in general. Is there is there somebody or a group or anything like that out there that you really just like it disgusts you or it just makes you like puts a bad taste in your mouth that says, why are they doing it this way? Like, what's their tactic or they're really hurting just the third party space or online entrepreneur space in general. 
I think um, if I'm honest with you, Ryan, I could. I, it's easy to be judgmental, isn't it? And it's easy to look at somebody and go, I think this is awful. And that's how I think entrepreneurs are born. They look at something and go, this is wrong. Uh, I can do this better. And so or I can do this right or I can do this differently. And for me, one of the hardest things that we've had is working in an industry, the beauty industry, which I think is morally bankrupt, if I'm honest with you. And I'm not trying to get on my high horse here. I do think it's changed a little bit. Um, and I have two sons and one daughter, three beautiful kids. Uh, my eldest is 19 and my daughter is 14. Uh, and my other well, congrats. Son is 17, right? Yeah, yeah we've, we've, we've not killed them or they've not killed me. Either way, we've uh, done all right. I was going to say, they're old enough that they know what they're, <laughs> they're, they're adults technically, or some of them are, I should say. So I would look out. I have a six-year-old who likes to talk like he's 18. So I can yeah, only yeah. imagine when they get to that age, what they're talking like. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. This is it's very, very funny. Uh, but my kids are amazing. Kids are awesome. But here's the thing. When you're working in the beauty industry, certainly with my kids and my wife, I became hyper, hyper aware of what the industry was doing to try and promote itself. And, you know, all the Photoshop images, all the, the stuff which says, basically, you're not good enough as a human being without my product. Um, I found it really, really tricky. I remember we bought a we took over a beauty business here in the UK and it had uh, four or five treatment rooms in the business, I think. And one of the first things that we did uh, was we, uh, there was a guy there doing Botox. Um, I think he was a dentist or a doctor. I don't know. There's a doctor guy doing Botox in my, in the business that I bought. The first thing I did was I said to him, I'm sorry, you're no longer working here. Um, not necessarily because I have an issue with Botox, although I, if you ask me deeply, I probably do. Um, it was more the fact that I just thought he was a really slimy guy taking advantage of young women. Uh, and I'm just like, I don't want that. I don't want any part of that. And I said to the, the, the therapist in the salon, um, I said to him, listen, I want you to get every photograph from every magazine off the walls, all the posters that has been photoshopped. I want them all down and I want you to bring them all to me. And we took everything down and we went and bought, um, a book uh, from Time magazine. Uh, it was a national, I think it was National Geographic, actually. They put together this book and they were portraits of people from all over the world, unedited, you know, portraits. It was as right. a beautiful book. And so we just started putting photographs of real people, you know, Western people, African people, Eastern, Asian. We had, uh, you know, different skin colors. We had, we had one photo had that. I can't remember the name of the tribe, but a tribe in Africa that, you know, has the really long necks with the gold rings around them. And stuff. Right. Yep. Mm -hmm. And we had all these photos. We took everything else down and we put just real photos of real people up. And you know what? The feedback from the customers was unbelievable because they were like, just something feels really nice about this salon now. It just feels less oppressive. And they couldn't say what it was. All we'd done was taken down all this imagery, which basically was unreal imagery and made you feel like you weren't good enough as a human being. So um, sorry, that's my soapbox. I'll get off it now. Well, I, I think that's, that's something very fascinating because as entrepreneurs, you eventually get into either the politics or the the perception of what the industry stands for. And I never thought about this from the beauty side of things. When you get into that category, no matter what you're marketing or even just getting as granular as your listings or your photography, they're going to be using, mm -hmm. it's all going to have a perception of your brand and a quote from 
a friend of the show, uh, Emma Smear from Marketing by Emma. She's a fantastic copywriter. She says, no matter how you, and this goes to your point of the images on the wall, no matter if you're saying it or not, you're always representing a brand, whether that be words or images, or if you don't say it. So the imagery that you changed out provided more of a real authentic feel. That was a reflection upon you as a brand, a brand owner, and what you wanted to stand for. And that says volumes. It doesn't have to be just, we don't, we don't take fake people or we don't sell to fake people or we don't represent fake people. You wanted to represent that in a different way. So I think that's super fascinating. Is that, is that something that you're trying to portray to in your online sales as well, or the products that you are creating to speak to those kinds of people? Because there are people who actually like that kind of stuff. They want to feel almost yeah, not are. like themselves, if that makes sense. Yeah, I do. And I I mean, in, in some respects, I could sit here and say to you, we've lost out on millions of pounds worth of sales because of products we've refused to sell. Um, and you know what, I'm I, I'm okay with that. It's that whole, can I sleep at night thing. Um, it it became, you know, with my sons and with my daughter, I, I, I didn't want them to grow up in a world whereby they would look at on average, whatever it is, two, 3,000 images a day, most of which told them that they weren't good enough. And, uh, you know, when you got down to it, you had to have a certain amount of muscles if you're a lad or if you were a girl, you had to have a certain waist size or a certain chest size or, do you know what I mean, dress a certain way, be a certain way, have a certain brand and all that sort of thing. And marketers spend a lot of money to tell you that you are incomplete without a certain product or brand. And the beauty industry is, is, is better at it than most. Hence the reason it's such a big industry. Um, so yeah, we we could have we could have gained more sales, but I think we would have lost part of our soul and our authenticity by doing that. And um, and I like working with brands that are true to their calling, for want of a better expression, that that are true to themselves. Uh, I don't necessarily have to agree, with, and this is an interesting thing. Because we, when we do coaching, I don't have to agree with their stance. Um, so for example, um, I wouldn't say that I'm a vegan. I, it's not that I'm pro vegan or anti vegan in any kind of way. I just happen to like a chicken sandwich is just the way it is. Right. Um, but I, I love the whole drive towards plant-based living and lifestyle. I love the whole vegan aspect, the vegetarian aspect, that whole drive currently, that whole message is so on point. Um, I don't I don't feel like I need to be 100 percent plant based to get behind that message and to help businesses in that space. Right. Um, I just have to feel like I can support it and shout about it and go, you guys are great. Come on. How can I you know, how can I support you? Um, and I think if I can do that, then life's good. Uh, I, I think it becomes tricky when when I when I when I become like some of the major. There's one brand. I won't mention their name. There's one brand that owns a beauty range which is all about um what do they call it uh authentic beauty authentically or something you know it's that whole their whole campaign i'll mention that if i mentioned the brand you'd know who it was but they show right it sounds familiar and it's 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 triggering some yeah. stuff in my head they, they show you photographs of of ladies um all various different colors all various different shapes all various different sizes and it's all like natural beauty is their, their thing. Do you know what I mean? We're, we're pro natural beauty and so on and so forth. Yet right out of the box, if you look down their brands listing, they own another brand, which is overtly sexist. And so the, the, the two contradict each other. Do you see what I mean? And it's like, 
Um, I just, I don't feel like I can do that in any way. I, I don't want any part of that. So what would you say to people who want to break into the beauty or healthcare industry online or just get into it as an entrepreneur? What's your advice from day one? What would you imply upon them? Um, I just be prepared for the competition. Uh, it is competitive. Um, I think in any industry, you can do a lot of good. And so I would implore you to do good rather than harm, just as a father of two sons and a daughter. Right. That's that's my personal plea. Um, but uh, bringing it back to what we talked about at the start, you know, grab yourself one of these, grab yourself a toilet seat and just sit on it. Literally just put it on your chair and sit on it and force yourself to think from your customer's point of view. What do they want? What do they what do they actually want? I mean, customers now going back to your early question about customers um, you know, what more more now than ever, especially in the West, customers are driven by desire rather than by need. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can you can feed into that. And, and as a marketer, as a business person, you can shape that. You can decide what that message is going to be. Um, and I think if you're going into the beauty industry, if you're doing something that's good um, and, uh, you know, is not about making people feel ashamed, uh, then I'm for you. But if you're going into it and you're doing the typical thing where you do make people feel ashamed, I'm just, I'm not going to tell you not to do it because that's, you know, it's your choice. But I'm just going to say, just think why you're doing it that way. Do you feel like a brand has more power than just the products that you're selling? Do you, do you feel like it has the more, more of the power uh, behind it? So if people are buying more into the brand, doesn't matter almost what product they're selling. They're just going to naturally be geared towards supporting or like you had mentioned before getting behind a sort of message if you will and naturally becomes a if you're talking about the going back to your earlier point of the vegan lifestyle maybe i do support that that customer or that business uh down the road even though because you like the message that they're implying instead of uh just the products themselves is that is that how people need to look at business more so than ever yeah i think so i think um, I think consumers now, because of because of the, the internet, because of the way data is, consumers now wanting to know more and more information. So if I think about one of the companies that we run, which is a, a supplement company, which is a vegan supplement company, actually, if I think about that business and the questions we get asked on customer service, well, goodness me. I mean, the degree of information that people want is extraordinary. And I think it's brilliant. And I think it's fantastic. Because they, the demand for the information, the, 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 the transparency and the traceability, I think, are becoming key factors. And so as consumers become more and more aware of this, it's not going to be true for everybody at all. Um, you know, not everybody is going to care about carbon footprint. Not everybody is going to care about um, the fact that this is fast fashion. Not everybody's going to care or want to ask the questions about this particular shirt. Where was it made? How was it made? Who made it? Can I trace those ingredients? We don't always think about those kind of things. And that's fine. Do you know what I mean that? But I think if I'm honest with you, and I, I hope I'm not going to get shot for saying this, Amazon serves those customers really, really well. Right. And where you differentiate yourself from Amazon, where you where you if I think about David and his five pebbles, what helps us? We can do transparency. We can do traceability. We can do authenticity. We can have our values and we can 
not preach about them, you know, not shove them down somebody's throat, but we can stand up and go, you know what, as a company, uh, we sell these supplements. And yes, they're a little bit more expensive, but let me tell you why they're a bit more expensive. The bottles that they come in are biodegradable, so we're hopefully not destroying the planet. Uh, they don't come from China, so you know we're reducing our carbon footprint. Uh, they they don't have this packaging, so do you know what I mean? So there's a sustainability factor. We can tell you how they're made and how it doesn't kill twenty five thousand fish to have a, an omega three capsule. We can tell those stories, and if that resonates with you, if that fits with you, we would love to serve you. And you know what? I think if you're an independent entrepreneur and you're starting out in the beauty industry or any kind of a business, for me, that is such a good way to go because that tribe is easy to find. Yep. And I'm, I'm not competing with Amazon. D does that make sense? Yeah. I think a lot of people struggle with the, the capability of trying to please everyone. And th this kind of goes back to the industry itself, trying to please everyone instead of saying, this is my stake in the ground. I'm going to find you if you agree with us and, and really resonate with our brands come find us and we're going to find you instead of, oh, we want to make sure that we're pleasing customer XYZ or trying to accommodate for other people like that. If you're authentically yourself, I think that really speaks high about brands. And I think a lot of people are going to really stay behind that more loyal in that regards more so than ever. I would think. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And it's why at Jersey, our repeat customer rate is higher than normal. That's amazing. You, you, you win customers and they, they're not just buying product. And that's a fundamental thing, right? And this is, you know, where, where I think online you can do really well is if you get, if you grasp the idea that consumers aren't just buying the product, they're buying the story in that product, the story behind it. They want to not only have the product, they want to feel good about having that product. And I think it's okay to have a mission statement which says we just want to change the world. Or at least our little corner of it, you know, to quit your little corner. Exactly. Dance now. I quite like that. <laughs> um, but it's like, I want to change this corner of it. This bit where I'm operating in, I'm going to be a force for good. And I think people love that. And people resonate with that. And people connect with that. And that's the 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 aspect of digital marketing. You can't you can't bottle that. You can't sell that. I can't do a course on that. Do you know what I mean? I can't, I can't buy that from Facebook. That's just you as the owner authentically coming out and just going, I just want to change the world. Will you join me? Uh, please, would you come along on this journey? And I think it's super inspiring. And if there's anything that people want right now, it's inspiration, especially after the year that we've just had, right? I, I want to be inspired. Please inspire me. Uh, and so, yeah, be an inspirational brand would be my my top tip. Absolutely. There, there's a lot of things out there or a lot of, I think a lot of people want to cheer for something and they want to get behind something. It's However, they're motivated. They want to look for something that's bright in the in the darkness that kind of blanketed the earth in the last sixteen months. That being said, you uh, you have another kind of side business, if you will, I would say business hustle, if you will. You got so much going on with Jersey and your other brands and whatnot, your other businesses, but you still make time to do a podcast. I'm curious to hear for everyone out there who's also a podcaster or likes podcasts. Why do it? Why? Uh, I mean, it's a great show. The the e-commerce podcast is very straightforward. What what was the motivation behind starting that and continuing to week after week kind of hop in that chair and find people to talk to? Yeah, um, I I think that's a really great question. And and to be honest with you, um, we the first podcast I ever did was a podcast for Jersey Beauty Company, 
And this is how I sort of stumbled into it, if you like. Uh, a friend of mine once told me I've got a great face for radio. So maybe that's why we went into podcast. Hey, someone said that to me too. Yeah, yeah, bless them. <laughs> bless them. Uh, and so we started, um, we started the Jersey podcast. And um, that was basically me and uh, a young lady called Rach and a young lady called Jan, two very beautiful people, love the bones off them. And we just decided to put three microphones in front of ourselves and just start chatting. And it turned out to be hysterical. And I just loved, I fell in love with it as a medium um, because I think podcasting is actually really straightforward to do. And so if I fast forward a few years and we're thinking about e-commerce and the coaching and the agency, and it's like, how could we become, you know, a, a more well-known brand? How could we establish ourselves a little bit more? You go through all the things. Do we build our Instagram account? Do we build a blog? Do we do this? Do we do that? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, we're going to do a podcast because I like podcasting. And honestly, that was the only reason we started. I wish I could tell you again, it was just, you know, more thought through than that. It wasn't I'm like, let's just do a podcast, see how that goes. And exactly. so that's what we did. And we did season one. And like I said, it was mainly me. And I'd had enough of my own voice by that point. Uh, and so we started getting guests on the show. And then I realized, actually, as I'm sure you have, Ryan, that um, podcasting is an unbelievable way to build a network um, of amazing people. And so if I if I think about I was saying this to a friend of mine, he was looking to looking to build his business, which kind of served business leaders in Liverpool uh, in the city where I'm currently living. It's like, how do I do that? I'm like, you've got two choices. Right. In one sense, you could cold call all the business leaders and say hey do you fancy getting together for a coffee and how many are going to say yes none of them really right cold calling is, is not that helpful i mean somebody who's an expert in cold calling is going to call me out on this but from my point of view it's not it's not the first choice i said well the other option is you could go start a podcast call it the business cityscape podcast or something you know a bit <laughs> cool and kitsch and um and contact those business leaders and say listen i've got a podcast where we feature local businesses would love to have you on my show and would love to hear your story. Do you know how many of them would say yes to that? And it's all, it's, it's in the nineties when we, yep. when we've measured it, it's in the nineties when we invite people to be on the show. Not many people come on the show and say, how many listeners have you got? How many downloads do you get? Yeah. Thank people, God. They don't ask that about the show, <laughs> but people don't. You found that out, right? People yep, rarely found it ask that quickly. question. And that surprised me massively. And so here we are finding that like 90% of people were saying yes, without having the need for all this data and information. And you get to have like an hour's conversation. That is the most extraordinary conversation. And here's the real kicker. Here's a real kicker. And today you put on Facebook, oh, I'm talking to Matt. So what did I do? I reposted that. So I've yep. told all my tribe about your show because I'm on it, right? So not only are you connecting with these business leaders in Liverpool and having the most, you know, dynamic time where they're sharing their story and they're grateful to you for talking to you so much so they're going to share you out uh, to their own tribe and connections, right? Great. Let me tell you which one's most successful. And it's, I think there's something about podcasting, which is the most underrated sales tool I've ever come across. It's an amazing, amazing privilege to do it. Yeah. And we, that, that's the thing about partnerships in this and how this position in this show kind of became what it is today and how the consistency is. I didn't think that there was a voice to be heard, but there's a lot of messages out there that say, listen, it just takes one point of view 
and then kind of snowballs from there. And people are going to find you if they agree with it or they don't, they're going to find the messaging and they're going to, like you said, bring in their audience. It's only going to get better from there. There's no right way to do it. There's no effective way to do it. It's just having a conversation with people who have high level thoughts about a specific topic, industry, or content. And it really can be consumed in various different capacities. Like you said, if you're watching this live, again, thank you so much for tuning in. And then also, if you're listening to this, they can just start and stop it whenever their life applies. This is not an intrusive way to marketing. It's not a billboard where if you pass by it, you're never going to see the message. It can mm -hmm. be opted into a lot. It can live out there amongst the ether and the internet, and people can find it when they are opting into these kinds of topics and categories. And I've had more people reach out to me that I've never thought would actually reach out to me individually saying, listen, I just passively hear an episode or two or whatever that might be. I, I've done as many as six episodes in one week and it's bananas and crazy. But if they catch one every so often, I think that's a win in my, my book. Mm. And if it's a valuable piece of content that they're going to apply to the business and it grows that effectively, I've done my job. And if it brings business to our company, I've also done my job. So mm. either way it is, it's, it's content that needs to be consumed in or can be consumed in a very palatable way and not intrusive to anyone's life, I think. So that's very fascinating. So you've been doing it, how many episodes now? 66, 76? uh no because we changed how we did the numbering so i think ah, we're on like episode gotcha. 70 or something but it's like we're on season six um and tomorrow we're just going to do uh season six episode six and so it looks like episode 66 but there are technically more yeah i'm right. being pedantic that we've done That's a fair okay. few now we've done a fair few um because we we don't i definitely don't do six a week i don't know how you manage that <laughs> those once and never <laughs> again that was a lot now i do like two to three and that feels more manageable absolutely but season six hey you're like uh friends if you keep getting you know brought back every year you get more and more money uh as people simulcast you right that's how it yeah. works yeah. that's why i told my boss i was like once i hit episode 100 i get simulcasted and then that's the that's where the money's at right <laughs> <laughs> but hey, it is what it is but yeah i i think i would do you have any um do you have any insight or tips for people if they if you think that they should because i hear all the time now people are asking me for advice for podcasts and i've only been doing this since september mm. you've been doing this a little bit longer I, um i would i would guess well, what's your advice to people whether it's gear or just tips to start or to motivate yourself to do it do you have any advice for people starting out yeah i can tell you the lessons that i've learned from podcasting uh, number one gear is helpful but it doesn't mean you have to wait until you've got it um, and this was one of the things that I did. I'm like, oh, I just need this bit of equipment, this bit of equipment. And I, and I, and that, and then I would start, right. It became an excuse right. to, to avoid starting. The reality of it is you could do a podcast off your mobile phone. You genuinely, mm -hmm. the, 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 the quality is good enough where that can record you. Even if you just get a tie mic, you know, a lapel mic or whatever they call them for 20 bucks. And, and that, as long as the audio is good, that's the main thing. Um, and over the years we've invested in, equipment and so like you we now live stream the recording of the podcast um, and so we've thrown video into the mix but you don't need to make it that complex at all you can start off really simple i think my my belief is whatever industry i am in um either me or somebody that represents my brand well needs to be doing either a podcast or a youtube channel okay 
And I, I think for me, they're fundamental requirements. You either podcast or YouTube or you do both, right? Um, and and like for, so for, for Jersey Beauty Company, I, I don't do the YouTube channel for obvious reasons, right? I, I, just, <laughs> I hope they're clear. I am not a, a demographic. Not the face not. of Jersey Beauty Company, got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, it doesn't need to be me. Um, but, you know, I think, I think, if you're going to do something, do some, you mentioned it earlier on, do something with somebody, you know, someone you can banter with, someone you can have a laugh with, because the most boring podcasts for me are the solo podcasts where someone is just telling you stuff. It's like being back at school. I'm not saying that it can't be done. I'm just saying I think that's the hardest podcast to do. The easiest podcast to do is where you get a guest on the show and your whole purpose is to ask them questions and that's mm -hmm. it. Do you know what I mean? But you don't have to prep anything other than the questions and doing a bit of research into the guest. Uh, so I like doing that. I like doing the live streams and the podcasts where I have a, um, a co-presenter. So if I'm not having guests, for example, um, and we're just talking about stuff, I like to do it where we've got a co-presenter because I like humor. I like fun. I like banter. I like a little bit of sarcasm because, you know, I'm English and we do that kind of thing very well. <laughs> um, and so I, I, for me, that becomes necessary. So you have to figure out, you know, what's going to resonate with my audience, what's going to keep them coming back, what's going to become an interesting. Don't get overwhelmed by what you think is an incredible amount of content you have to create. That is only true if you're doing the solo podcast. Mm -hmm. I think if you're doing a chat show style podcast or an interview style podcast, you'll be surprised. I could have guests on every week talking about Facebook advertising and every week would be interesting because every guest is going to bring something different. And I don't have to worry about that. That's a beauty. I just have to ask the questions. That's a beautiful thing. I mean, it's Absolutely. the easiest way to do it. You tell me if I'm, if no, if you're right. The same thing, right. You're right. Uh, I actually, I also think that I get a front row seat to some of the brightest minds in the space and it allows me to broaden my thoughts around specific topics that I actually didn't think about before. And it's, it's just almost like a masterclass right in front of me. I'm just asking the questions, almost like a one-on-one tutoring or even, you know, I have, I can chime in obviously in lots of different places. And that's the beauty about this is my background is so diverse and unique, but when I want to learn about something, it's allowed me to tap into this role of decks and people is like, Hey, I really enjoyed your content. Would you mind being a guest on my podcast? And you mentioned nine or 10 out of 10. They're always going to say yes, because they want to get their message out too. But I also want to learn more from those people. So it's that yearning to learn and not to be like, I'm not, I'm not going to be the next Joe Rogan, by any means I don't think, or some person who's making millions of dollars on just podcasting. But I think we do this because this is the easiest way for me to learn from people, but also to interact and to build a network of unique individuals who there's so many ups and downs. And it's just mm -hmm. nice to know that people have more insight and value to, to give. And now I'm the one telling people you should come on. Like you have so much to tell people prop them up when I was that person who was just being talked to is like, mm. Oh no, I'm, I'm okay with that. But it, it is super nice to think that there, that people can kind of jump and support you and they see the value of building content and just educating people and not like I said, be intrusive, but just having other people just have a natural conversation like coffee 
every yeah. single day. It, I mean, or almost every day. It, it's super nice, I think. Yeah, it is. It is. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. And I and I would say to you, like I say, every industry, I don't care what you do, what your e-commerce website is, you need to be doing a podcast or a YouTube channel and you need to find a way that makes it interesting, um, but in a way that is manageable and easy for you to do. Uh, and I, I, I don't know if you found the same thing, Ryan, with your podcast. Uh, with mine, for the first two seasons, we had to go and get guests. We had to research who we wanted to come on our show. Mm -hmm. um, from season three onwards, I've never had to go and get a guest. Everyone's like, can I come on your show? Uh, and we get to cherry pick in some respects um, who, the, the, who the good guests are going to be. And, um, and I, I think once you've got past that, you know, the numbers, I think, scare people. It's like, I've only got 10 people subscribed. Brilliant. Right. Because 10 That's people a good audience, become yeah. 100. Yeah, it's a good audience. The 10 people become 100. Once you've got 100 people in your audience, you need to open a bottle of champagne. You need to dance a jig because that's, that's, you do, what's that book? The thousand, the thousand true fans or something like that. You know, 100 is a tenth mm -hmm. of the way there. So if your total aim is to go and get those thousand true fans, and don't worry about have I got 45 million downloads or whatever the, the number is that you've got in your head. Just go and do an audience, for, you know, do what you do for 10 people, do what you do for 100 people and be okay with that. And then do it consistently. That would be the other tip. I, this, you know, you would have found this, right? There's days where you show up, there's no one on the live stream. You're like, I wonder if anyone's ever listening to this. And you're just like, <laughs> why am I doing this? What is going on? It's all a waste of time. Is it, What's the ROI and all that sort which of is stuff? Always, which is always why I'm telling people, I was like, are you actually watching? Because I know when people are watching on the live stream. So yeah. are, you, are you bullshitting me? Or are you just telling me what I want to hear? But mm -hmm. I honestly think that's the case is that it has legs. Life is, life is, and this is my high horse, life is such a unique fascination for myself because you have to intrusively get into someone's schedule. They have to opt into you and their schedule. Like you're not inviting them into your day. I'm not going out and saying, come to my party. They are actually opting into stopping their day to come over to you and say, I think what you have is valuable. Let me take a listen for a couple minutes or half an hour or whatever, however long a show might be. And I think that's super interesting. But then when people do have time and they want to go back to you, that's even more fascinating to me mm -hmm. that they want to opt into that regards too. So both sets have their own very unique audience. I want to say if mm -hmm. they're going to stick with me for the whole hour plus, or if they're going to watch it later when they have some downtime, they're, they're cooking dinner or whatever that might be. And they flip it back on. So that, that's kind of the cool fascination with starting a podcast, um, growing it to over a hundred plus episodes, like you said, and being consistent that I think that's what is people can rely on you for that. They're always going to say, Hey, I know that I'm going to get great content from them no matter what it might be. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. And the other cool thing about it, of course, is, um, you can take the podcast, uh, you can get it transcribed. You can take mm -hmm. the the transcription, you know, which is not a lot of money to get done these days. We use right. Otter. It's pretty good. It's pretty reliable. You've got to do a bit of editing. Um, but then you've got three or four blog posts that you can then put on your website. You've got at least 20 social media posts in that. Do you know what I mean? So from one podcast or one YouTube video, we've got, we, we can create multiple pieces of content, which makes your whole content production much, much more valuable. Let me tell you and um much easier as well right so absolutely uh, yeah I'm, I'm a big fan of it a huge well, huge fan 
And then what I mentioned earlier in this episode, I'm going to give them a shout out once again. We actually are very much, we're partnering with another uh, company called Casted here in Indianapolis, and it's a B2B podcasting company. So it allows us to build out landing pages, transcriptions, uh, social posts, all based upon the audio content. So you can highlight it, pop it into a Facebook oh, wow. or a LinkedIn post. Super fascinating. They're doing uh, podcast hosting for likes of Salesforce, PayPal. Uh, they're, they're really fantastic people over there. So we're excited to start hosting with them, but also utilizing their tools to build up blogs, uh, audio snippets, things like that. So uh, around the world, I'm a, I'm their biggest fan and we, we're just getting started with that. So like you said, it's, it's all about social sharing, um, bite-sized information. I get it. People don't have time to always listen to the entire hour plus, but what we have to say, it matters and getting those little nuggets in a little consumable bite people are always going to see value in that and then kind of take away. So it builds your audience that way too. So but that being said, Hey Matt, thank you so much for, for where, you know, just this episode in general about toilet thing. We talked about podcasting. We talked about just building a brand in general. If people want to reach out to you or if they're just want to ask about other questions, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, absolutely. If you're watching the video, you can see on the bottom here, uh, our Facebook is the e-commerce podcast. You can reach out there where, um, or just head to my website, mattedmondson.com, um, or you can go to ecommercepodcast.net. Either is fine. Uh, but if you go to mattedmondson.com, all my social media links are there. You can connect with me however you wish. It would be great to hear from you. Great Instagram following. You got a great um, got great page on Facebook. So yeah, go ahead and check them out. Matt Edmondson, uh, the e-commerce podcast, if you will, on uh, Facebook. And you know, once a week, is it a specific day every week that you're coming out with episodes? Yeah, we uh, every Thursday we do a new episode. So we live stream the recording on Thursdays and then so you can watch it a week early because the audio podcast comes out a week after that. Um, gotcha. So, yeah, however you want to consume it. Easy enough. Uh, you're, you're preaching to the choir. So I, I appreciate your time today. Um, as always, friend of the show now that you've been on my podcast, always welcome back to whenever you have other topics you want to cover. Besides toilets, you know, that's always nice. But it, I swear to God, man, if I see a toilet seat show up on my front de- front uh, porch, I'm going to know who it's from. So yeah, yeah, it yeah, is what yeah. it is. <laughs> but hey, <laughs> hey, thanks so much for hopping uh, on all the way from Liverpool, uh, England, Matt Edmondson of the e-commerce podcast. Thank you so much for hopping on today. Uh, it's been an absolute privilege and a treat. Thank you so much, Ryan. Really enjoyed yeah, it. Thank you. Thanks. We'll catch you next time. And again, everyone, thank you so much for watching on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, or Twi- uh, Twitter, but also listening on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, again, wherever you consume any sort of podcast or listen to us. Make sure you rate us the Crossover Commerce Podcast uh, with Ryan Kramer. That's me. I'm the host. We've done over 112 of these live episodes, but then you can catch them on audio format, just like Matt said. Go ahead and check those out on those platforms as well. Super excited to bring new and updating uh, technologies to help enhance the podcasting experience. So hope people can take away the highlights of these nuggets that we're talking about with people consistently every week, two to five times per week that I'm bringing on guests as a show. Um, Stay tuned. Actually, this week we're going to be going live again on uh, Thursday, I'm going to say, with episode 113, talking to you with... Uh, Leslie Hansel of Rib Ribbon Consulting. We're going to be talking about the challenges working with Amazon on the enforcement side. Leslie is fantastic. So if you get your listing uh, suspended, who are you going to talk to? How are you going to get your things up and running? Easton's uh, kicked off for one reason or another. We're going to be diving into 
that as well. Leslie and her team are doing fantastic work over there. So stay tuned for that later this week, but go ahead and subscribe to us on social media, YouTube, uh, Facebook, and Instagram to be notified when other episodes go live. I'm Ryan Kramer. This is Crossover Commerce. Thanks again for joining on episode 112, Toilet Seat Thinking and why you should uh, think the way things through that your customers are from their perspective. Take care, everyone.